Hey, what up, Long Beach? Welcome back to our weekly podcast. As part of our partnership with the Long Beach Post, we cover everything local news because we are the 562.org. I am JJ Fiddler. I'm Mike Gardabasio. And I'm Tyler Hendrickson. Uh, be sure to get to the 562.org. We've got stories going up every day, trying to keep you informed on what's going on in the city, whether it's sports related, whether it's not sports related. We're trying to cover everything. We rely on your support, so be sure if you, if you can, Head to the uh, support the 562 tab. You can subscribe via our Patreon page. You can donate. Help us continue to cover the city of Long Beach. It's what we love to do. If you're doing your holiday shopping on Amazon, Tyler's also set up an Amazon Smile account for us. So you can go to smile.amazon.com, select the 562 as your charity of choice, and a portion of all of your purchases on Amazon will be donated to the 562 as well. Those donations help us produce stories like the one at the top of the page right now. 19 Long Beach student athletes have signed scholarships this week, totaling $3.5 million, not too shabby. Bunch of different sports, a bunch of different schools. Like I said, that story available right now at the562.org, so make sure you share it and let everybody know that even though we don't see these kids signing in person, which is one of our favorite days, every year they're still out there doing it and their futures are still very bright yeah this is obviously a sort of an early signing day period unlike any other and i would like to emphasize because a lot of people really sort of glommed on to that 19 athletes for 3.5 million those numbers are all going to more than double by the end of the school year we've already had uh, asia atkinson at saint anthony high school signed with cal uh, yesterday because uh, the wednesday it's really just the start of the signing period right i mean this is a it's a, it's a multi-week period. And then obviously the February one, we always have a ton of kids sign as well. So, you know, stay tuned. I mean, I, I'm, it's making me realize I should have been doing more to put the value of these scholarships out there every time we write about it, JJ, because, you know, you saw all of these uh, sort of school officials and administrative people being like, wow, three and a half million dollars. And I was like, I mean, I think the city signed $20 million worth of scholarships last year athletically. Like this is big, big money. And it's one of the reasons that these programs are so important even in a world where doing anything related to a school is so difficult. Yeah, it almost feels like it means more this year, even though it kind of feels like it means less because we didn't have as much coverage. We usually do the videos and the personal stories and stuff like that. This is just more of a list of these student athletes who really they're the ones who have decided where they wanted to go very early. But I, I don't know if it means more or less because you could argue both sides. Right. I, I think the signing day loses the, the pomp and circumstance, obviously, because you don't have the big crowd, the presentation, you know, the, all your your friends there with you and the balloons and everything. You know, it was our, it's my favorite thing to cover each year, you know, seeing kids uh, achieve those dreams. So but I, I do think uh, you're right, JJ, that in a way it does mean more because it maybe was harder to get discovered. You know, And so uh, recruiting is is so changed by this pandemic because you don't have as many opportunities to be discovered right now. And so it's people that have, you know, athletes that have been able to lock up their, their college commitment a little earlier in the process. And so we'll see how it plays out in the months ahead with, you know, this challenge of, of trying to recruit when teams aren't playing. Yeah. I want to note, I mean, this is not really a coronavirus success story. Almost all of these kids were committed to, or had already been offered these scholarships long before the coronavirus happened. Right. So, you know, the but then aren't they also deciding if they're going to go to school or not? I mean, this is, this is only the beginning yeah, of the journey but, that they don't really know where the end of that road is yet. But my point is the, the kids we should be really worried about right now are like talented. So, I mean, the seniors who would have gotten scholarship offers, and we cover a number of those every year, uh, you know, kids like, I, I think of like a Daryl Polk, 
uh, at Poly who we knew his whole time at Poly he should have a college scholarship or KJ Fagan. You know, they didn't have the, that offer until their senior season. Um, and then they get it and they go on to be incredibly productive. You know, KJ Fagan is playing professional basketball. The kid, if he were a junior when the coronavirus hit, probably would not have gotten a college scholarship. So I, I worry, yes, about the seniors, but more so about the sophomores and juniors, because this is really the, the window in which they get those looks that the current seniors are committed. You know, they're cashing in their checks, basically, but they earned the paycheck their sophomore and junior years. Um, so I worry about the, that that disconnection in the pipeline um, that's happening, obviously, every single day that that the country is under the, uh, the, the restrictions it is. And I'm not suggesting that that's a reason to sort of throw the doors open to all the gyms. Obviously, we've seen that the numbers are going in a terrible direction in California right now. We're in whatever the reverse of free fall is. We're in free rise or, <laughs> or whatever. It's, it's terrible. It's bad. But, but one, of, one of the things that we've talked about this with NCAA recruiting as well, with everyone getting an extra year of eligibility, there's a knock-on effect that gets exponentially larger every year you stack on top of it. And, and that's what I worry about happening with recruiting right now. Well, and it, it could lead to some misses in, in both directions. Like, how did this kid not get an offer? Or, you know, maybe this kid didn't turn out to be ready for whatever level they get. So there's going to have to be maybe some guessing. Um, and I think junior colleges, you know, once they're allowed to compete, could end up with a, you know, an influx of talent just because, you know, kids like you, like you mentioned with KJ and Daryl that, that didn't get that, that D1 or, or D2 opportunity. And so they go to junior college and prove themselves. So you could see it's just going to be the JUCO a, ranks are going to be the JUCO ranks are going to be wild. I mean, we already know you know you got Ricky Tiedemann at LBCC, but I mean you're going to have professional and Division one caliber kids. Not just the kids who didn't get the look, but also kids where Division one colleges have said, "Hey, nobody graduated from my team this year. You're going to have to wait another year before your scholarship becomes available. You're going to have a ton of NCAA talent um, sitting in the JUCO ranks for a year once everything opens back up for sure." We got to make sure we time stamp this episode because everything is changing so quickly. It is 10 a.m. on a Wednesday and there are meetings going on in the local school district and local college ranks that could change everything at any point. So just make sure you guys are checking in on the 562.org and Long Beach Post so that you know what's going on because that's where you're going to find all that information. Now, on this episode, we have a special interview with Tori Edwards, you may not know that name, but you should because he's one of the only people in the world having a great 2020. I'm serious. There aren't many, but Tori Edwards is killing it on the golf course. I hate Tori Edwards. How dare he have a great 2020? <laughs> he, won some, he won some tournaments. He was named the SCGA. That's the Southern California Golf Association Amateur Golfer of the Year. He was a pro out of Wilson High School and Long Beach State. But after the pro ranks didn't work out for him, he went and got a normal job and then rediscovered his love for golf and is now one of the best amateur in the world. He shot his second 58 of his life. Now, I know some of you aren't golfers out there. A round of 58 is like bowling a 300 and scoring 80 points in an NBA basketball game like on the same night. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> People just don't shoot 58. For example, everybody knows Recreation Park 18 golf course. It's not the hardest course. It's, it's difficult, but it's not the hardest. Paul Goidos had the record there of 61. Paul Goidos, he's, he's been playing golf for a while. And that no golf park has break. also existed for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no one could break 61 at Recreation Park 18 until Tori Edwards did so, shooting a 58 in 2008. 
I was actually working at Big Red Golf Course that year when it happened. So it was a huge story and it was awesome to see that he was able to do it again this year when he is one of the best amateur golfers, like I said, in California and, uh, and really in the country. So I got a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about his journey through golf and how much Long Beach and the community of Long Beach and the golf community of Southern California really allowed him to kind of go up, down, and now definitely back up again. The weather is definitely cooling off, but for me, I still like that taste of summer, even as it starts to get a little bit crisp outside. So me and my wife, my kids, we are definitely still doing our regular pickup of Naples Rib Company down on 2nd Street, Long Beach's best barbecue. They've got a lot of competition, but the ribs don't at Naples Rib Company. They do still have outdoor dining. The capacity will be reduced along with everyone else's. You can do your outdoor dining or you can do what my family does. Go get your takeout order, get your ribs, get your brisket, get your sausages, get your mac and cheese, your mashed potatoes, your sides, whatever you want, and tell them that the 562.org sign. Tori Edwards joining us. Thanks again, man. You know, you're one of a handful of local golfers who have gone pro out of Long Beach over the last 20 years. We've got actually a handful more who are going to be trying to do it pretty soon. Why do you think Long Beach golf is so good? We just have such a good crop and community of golf in Long Beach. There's such good access. And, and, and Southern California in general just has, you know, we're great at so many sports, you know. But during my era, you know, I grew up with the Tony Azevedos of the world and, and water polo. And, and Long Beach was also was such a powerhouse. But, you know, certainly you look at Holly and football and track. And, and, you know, our women's team was number one in the nation along with Polly and track when I was there. And, and so I think there's just such a good uh, base of, of athletes in general, you know, just having such good access to local golf courses uh, just kind of, I think breeds the ability to have a, a good group of players. So, I mean, James O when I was in high school was the number one amateur in the world. Uh, so we had, you know, not only us, but, so many other uh, teams in War League were really, really good. And so I think it's just a good competitive environment. And, and again, kind of going back to having uh, such a good community of golf to, to be able to play and practice and get better. So you were obviously making a name for yourself at Wilson High School. Why did you choose to go to Long Beach State? I knew a couple of the players on the team. Uh, I'm real close with John Mallinger, went on to play on the tour. And, and they had a good team kind of as I was starting to make decisions. And, uh, I knew the coach and, you know, for me, my junior year was pretty decent, but it wasn't the best. And they offered me a full ride. And then, uh, kind of for me, my senior year was huge. So I won the Morley championship and it's been so many years. I can't remember. I finished like third or something in state and, and played really well. And a bunch of doors opened for me, but I had already signed. So it worked out to go to Long Beach state and, no complaints. Uh, but again, you know, kind of going through that process, I don't think I had a ton of offers like early in my junior year or whatever that was at that time. Being able to stay local and have college paid for, it just it just made a lot of sense. And again, you know, we won a Big West championship when I was at Long Beach State. We had a good team uh, most of the years and, and went to the NCAAs. And so it, it was a good situation. And I love Long Beach being from here. And so just it worked out well. So after those successful years in black and gold, you pretty much went pro straight out of college. You were in there for seven years, but it didn't go as well as you wanted it to. Why do you think that was? I think I was a little immature and, and maybe not ready as prepared actually for professional golf because clearly I didn't have as much success as I think I could have. But 
I mean, it's such a good environment. And golf, golf's weird because it's, you know, you, you go and you play on a team in college, but it's really an individual sport. And, you know, you get to the next level, it's, it's, it's all on you. Um, and so I think it's more of just, you know, navigating the professional ranks. Um, it's, it's really, really challenging, just like any other sport. And for me, it just became a job. And it took a little bit of the love out of the game when it becomes your livelihood. And, you know, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons. But, again, it's good golf takes care of itself or playing good at any sport. You know, you're going to have success. And, and I, I think for me it just became where I wasn't enjoying the process of getting better at golf. Whereas, you know, you have to enjoy that kind of the ride. And, and for me, again, it, it became a little bit of a job. And I, I wasn't enjoying um, playing at the professional level. What do you think was the last straw to you kind of putting the sticks away for a little bit? Well, I mean, it was it was kind of a lot of things going on at the time. So 2008 with the economy getting crushed. Uh, you know, I had, I had a group of sponsors that was helping me pretty much through my career uh, because it's probably – you know, I'm sure it's maybe even a little bit more now, but you, you need probably $75,000 a year to go travel and play, um, you know, professionally and do it right. So number one, yeah, it, it's an expensive endeavor. But for me, uh, again, yeah, I just, I wasn't getting the best out of myself. And I, I think that I got in my own way a little bit. And golf's such a mental game that, no matter how good you hit it and, and how well you, you know, you have the tools to, to be able to have success. Uh, I think the, the main challenge comes from uh, being able to navigate, you know, traveling and being on the road every week, you know, you're playing for livelihood and, and you're playing for a paycheck and, you know, there's, it's really, you know, there's, you're just trying to survive to be honest, until you can kind of make your way to the next level, whether it's the PGA Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour. So after you stop trying to get on the tours, you come back to Long Beach, you get a day job, you're playing golf in your free time, being active when you can. When did the competitive juices start flowing again? I started to get the itch, I think, around 2016 to kind of really get back into playing some competitive golf. And I kind of go to, I, I made a, a deep run at the Long Beach Open in 2016 where I had a putt on the last hole that would have got me into a playoff. And I, I guess I had played a little bit, obviously, before that. I think I was runner-up at the last play or something that got me into the, or maybe maybe I just did the qualifier for the Long Beach Open. So, you know, I was back kind of playing against all the pros, and, and it got me excited to kind of see where my game was at. I, I just made a, a, I just had an amazing week and, and literally, you know, so I finished one shot back of winning. And from there, I really got excited about competing again. And so kind of ever since then, I've, I've played the Long Beach Open every year and I've had a couple, couple more opportunities where I've been in the last group on the weekend and, and I think I had another like seventh place finish. So I, I, I kind of was able to uh, prove to myself that, that I can still do it, even though, you know, I don't want to play professionally. I, I, I know that it, it just, it, the satisfaction of being able to kind of, hey, I can still go out and compete at a high level and, and you know, but it's not tied to my, my, uh, my income. So with all your recent success, the tournament wins, the Southern California Golf Association Award for being an amateur of the year, do you think you'd ever try to go pro again? 
Yeah, so I, I have no interest in, in playing professionally. I just, you know, again, we got guys like Patrick Cantlay, eighth in the world out at our at our club. I, I know where, where it's at and, and the commitment, the energy, and, and I love being a financial advisor. Uh, my career is going great. Like, I, I would never just drop that and then go try to play again. Now, in 12 years from now, if we want to, maybe think about a champions tour run or something like that okay but i don't really have any you know i'm totally happy with what i'm doing and i love that i have the ability to my job allows me the ability to play in some of these things it has the flexibility and so i love the amateur stuff there's so many cool guys and you meet so many great people that um you know i i totally kind of dig this world of golf versus you know, having to be on the road all the time. I think that that really grinds you is you're on the road for 40 weeks a year. You're traveling to all different cities and it's just, it, it beats you up a little bit. I can't let you go without talking about the 58 that you shot at rec park in 2008. It was such a huge story then. It, re- it really is still a huge story because it's still the course record. And that place is just, it's special, man. As, as a Long Beach golfer, and I know all the other Long Beach golfers would say the same, it's a special place. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. It's special to be at Rec Park, kind of the first course I grew up at. I know a million people out there from, you know, when you were working there to, you know, all, all through the years. So, you know, it, I don't think you can ever plan for anything like that because it's just such a one-off, like, special accomplishment. A lot of guys have gone low there, and I think it was it was kind of cool because I played some golf with Paul Goidos. He's a legend in Long Beach, you know, kept his tour card for 30 years on the PGA Tour, which yep. is incredible. And so no one could really beat that record for whatever reason. The Long Beach Open was there. Uh, so many tournaments are there, and so many good players have played out there. And, and really, it's just like, for some reason, no one could break 61. Everyone had, like, shoot 62 or had tied it or whatever, but he had kept it. And so, you know, it was just a weird day that all of a sudden I just got crazy hot on the back nine and, and you know, just everything fell into place. I, it, it's hard to explain, but you have to be in such a good zone and putting so well that, there's a lot of birdie opportunities out there, but you have to be, you know, you have to be able to execute and not get in your own way. That's that's kind of the thing that allows it to happen. So your game kind of came back around right as 2020 was starting. You got over some injuries and you were looking good, and then COVID-19 hits. But that kind of seemed to give you a little boost into these tournaments recently that you won that helped win you that award. Do you think that the COVID-19 shutdowns actually kind of helped you a little bit? Yeah, I, I, it's such a tricky year. That's why it's this has like been it's been interesting that I played so well. Um, I mean, I think I, it's been coming on for a while, but yeah, I think being able to a little bit have a break and just be fresh, I think, cause we weren't playing as much golf. It's, it was, I think we, I think all of us have the mindset that we were just grateful to be back out and playing, not only playing in general, but just being able to compete too. Cause the season kind of got condensed and everyone was in limbo. Like, are we going to have tournaments or, you know, some tournaments were canceled, some, some were rescheduled. And, uh, so yeah, absolutely. I think being able to, to be fresh and, and kind of have a reset on life in general, it was, it was, you know, you, I think you take it for granted. Um, 
until things are taken away. So it was really nice to, you know, I think all of us were really fortunate to be able to have at least some sort of tournament season to be able to, to compete and get back into it. All right, man, one last thing. Please give some advice to me and all the other local golfers who's been uh, struggling with their game since we started hitting the ball. You have no chance if you don't show up and you, and you truly believe that you're going to play good golf. And you usually are your biggest opponent. It's not the other people out there. And I think that's easy to say, like, you're playing the golf course. So I think so many of us get wrapped up in um, worrying about making mistakes and, you know, like shooting that 58, like how many times uh, people ask me about that. And I said, it's really no different than other milestones. So whatever level of golf that you're at, you know, whether it's your first time trying to break 80 or your first time trying to shoot par, you know, I remember all those milestones trying to break 70 at rec park and how many times you get to, you know, late in the back nine and you start getting in your own way because you're thinking about the result. You're thinking about the finish and all of a sudden you, you hit one out of bounds or you make an unexpected double and then you're kind of, your round falls apart. So like to shoot a 58 like that, you really have to stay so much in the moment of playing each shot and not getting ahead of yourself that, you know, again, I think that we, we think about getting better at golf by just practicing and hitting balls, but working on how you get better mentally and preparing to play golf, I think is, uh, is, is what gets you to the next level and makes you have success. Thanks again to Tori for stopping by, giving us that story. We've got a written story on the 562.org as well if you want to check out a little bit more information about him and other golfers in the local area. Before we get out of here, I wanted to make sure we touched in on a huge story that we broke last week that Long Beach State men's and women's basketball finally able to move back into Walter Pyramid and start practicing. But before they did that, Athletic Director Andy Fee had to go meet with the health department officials here in Long Beach, give them the information they wanted, which was basically they've been testing at Long Beach State. They haven't had any positive tests with any of their student athletes so far, and they wanted to come back inside. They had been working outside for a couple weeks, and they were ready to do it. But the health department wasn't ready to sign off on it quite yet. So Andy Fee basically tell them, I'm going to give you two days, and you tell me yes or no. And if I don't hear from you in two days, I'm taking my basketball teams and I'm going to Orange County where there are much looser restrictions. That's exactly what he did. He took the men's and women's basketball team to the AIM sports facility in Seal Beach and they were there practicing for at least a week before the health department said, okay, now you can come back to Long Beach. And this week, both teams are practicing at Walter Pyramid. So I want to ask you guys, when I put that story up online and you saw that Andy Fee had basically said, I'm taking my ball and I'm going somewhere else, what was your first reaction? Go ahead, Mike. My first reaction was, that's great. You know, I, I mean, I think one thing that we've seen, and I'm going to, again, preface everything I'm saying by, by announcing, we, we take the virus very seriously. We understand the health risks. All three of us have altered every single aspect of the way we live our everyday life. We are not the people saying, oh, the virus isn't real. Just do what you normally do, okay? I that always hear it in that voice too. That, but listen, that was a generous interpretation of how I hear that voice. Um, but all of all of that being taken into account, um, pressure works, and the scientific, you know, the guidelines are guidelines. And so, what I look at is, um, if we had just sort of continued down the path of least resistance, we would not have had college football in California this year. And the USC and UCLA football players banded together and said, we want to play football. It's important for our futures. 
It's important for uh, the way we want to live our lives. We want to do it. And that pressure forced the state health department to create a set of guidelines that work for them to play competitive football. And Long Beach State, the Long Beach high schools, all of Southern California's high schools are going to have to do something similar to move things because what we've seen is um, the health departments at the city and county and state level, they're willing to compromise and make exceptions, but you've got to be the one to initiate it. They're not calling you and saying, well, are you guys ready to start practicing inside? You've got to say, look, we're, we're going to do this. We have to get our kids ready for competition. So we want to work with you about how to do this safely. And yeah, a, a move like the one that Andy did, um, I think that that's great because it, it starts to grease the wheels a little bit and, and get things moving. And, you know, I, we saw something similar with our friend uh, Jason Negro at St. John Bosco Football said, hey, man, if I have to play my home games in Orange County in, or, in order to play, I'll do that. You know, I'll do whatever I, I can to get my kids on the field um, and in front of college scouts and, and competing, you know. So I think this kind of move is going to be necessary. I appreciate it because it wasn't reckless. He did what every other person in L.A. County, especially in East Long Beach, can do and drive across an invisible county line into a place that lets you practice indoors, right? Now, Orange County has been moved back into the purple tier. So had this happened, had Andy's move happened a week later, it wouldn't have worked. Um, but I do think that, you know, I think there's a difference between these moves and these sort of casual people not worried about the masks, people going over to each other's houses, that is sort of what we know is driving the spread of the virus again. So I think even in a time when the numbers are going up, I appreciate administrators sensibly going, what's a safe way for me to move these boundaries a little bit? Yeah, I agree with Mike. I mean, my first reaction was, you know, good, good for them. You know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes I think you have to sensibly kind of push those boundaries and, and be the squeaky wheel a little bit. Um, but, you know, we, you know, in discussions with, with Andy Fee, you know, we know that, that they're, they're taking things seriously and precautions are in place to protect the, the student athletes and the coaches and everyone involved. You know, I mean, we, we had a story about Dan Munson, you know, I mean, he, he obviously um, takes the virus seriously. His daughter, you know, got it. And, um, Bobby Braswell, the assistant coach, uh, is opting out because of COVID concerns, and that's totally fine and certainly within his right to to do that and protect himself and his family. And so, all of these measures have have been taken to protect the people that that may be vulnerable or have concerns. And so, what's left is the, the situation where, like you said, Mike, this avenue is available, and for right. some, might actually be closer to Orange County than going to the pyramid. And so you know, this can happen, but why not have it happen at home? And so I think as we take those baby steps forward, but, but do it sensibly with science, with precautions in place, with testing there, um, you, you know, UCLA is practicing, you know, other, other big schools are, are right. able to practice indoors and gather. And so, um, you know, let's, let's take it seriously. Let's take precautions and, and not be reckless here, but, but there's common sense things that we can do to keep life kind of moving forward amid this virus and knowing just assessing our risk let's, you know every literally everything we do has a little bit of risk to it <laughs> some greater than others but you know there's certain things that we can do where the risk is is mitigated and it's not you know it's not something that we should just you know go into a corner and completely avoid i do think though we have to say this is another example and it was the first thing i thought of another example of where the student athletes have no say 
Let's say you've got one student athlete who's like, yes, I want to go to Orange County. I want to be inside. I want to practice right now. And then another student athlete who says, I don't know, man, I've been reading the news. It looks like we're headed in the wrong direction. That seems like an unnecessary risk to me. Neither of those student athletes get to decide whether or not they want to practice indoors in Seal Beach in this example. They are just going to do what they're going to do. And then, like you said, you could opt out, you could opt in, but it's not your decision. It's the decision of a health department, of an administrator, and all of those other things that trickle down until they finally hit you. It was just another hit on the heart for me where I was like, man, that is so difficult to be a student athlete right now where really you're just getting Pinocchio'd. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think you're a hundred percent right about that. And I, I just, um, I think one thing I want to emphasize anytime we talk about flexibility or allowing people to decide their own level of risk they're comfortable with. I always believe that everything should be a perfectly shame-free acceptable opt-out experience. I, I mean, that happened with the mm -hmm. CSUN women's basketball team had to shut down because they had so many players opt out some first, maybe some other reasons, some because of concerns over COVID-19 the school's honoring their scholarships um, and, you know, the team shut down and I, and I think they're going to allow free transfer for players who want to go play somewhere else. But the, the rallying cry that I've heard in the LBUSD that I love is let's do everything we can safely do. You know, do we wish that our teams could be holding real practices? Um, yes. Do we know that they're doing these off season workout conditionings for uh, uh, an effort that's going to end in a season? No. But we know safely that they can work out together outdoors, and we know that that structure and exercise is helpful. And I think right now, you know, we're we're not meat and potatoes. We're 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 like potato skins, and you know, chewing the fat. Like we're taking whatever we can get to put on the plate, with the acknowledgement that it's not a full uh, a full meal right now. And so, um, yeah, continue to give kids and coaches and everyone the flexibility to opt out, but do everything we can safely do. I think that's the rallying cry. I agree. We just got to figure out what's safe. And you're going to know what's safe or what they think is safe by looking at the news at Long Beach Post and the 562 and those websites that just cover Long Beach news because we are for Long Beach and by Long Beach. Make sure you get to the support pages on both of those websites and help support that local news coverage. But we got to get out of here right now because we're actually going to record the LB Fee Show. We do a bi-weekly show with aforementioned Andy Fee, and we're going to talk to him about that decision that he made and what the future for Long Beach State Athletics is right now. So make sure you also check out that podcast at the562.org. So for everybody at both of those websites, both of those podcasts and everything else we produce, thank you so much for coming and listening. Now stay safe out there, hang tough, and we will see you soon, Long Beach.